You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. What we're dealing with here is a total lack of respect for the law. You're listening to Done By Law, brought to you by the Federation of Community Legal Centres. Okay, welcome to Done By Law for uh, Tuesday the 6th of October 2020. We're on 3CR Community Radio 8.55am and 3CR Digital or streaming online and podcasted via 3cr.org.au. We're proud to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land we're broadcasting from and pay respects to elders past, present and emerging and acknowledge that this land was taken, never ceded. Tonight, your hosts are Daniel Bavcevich. Hi, Dan. Hey, how you doing, Sue? It's a pleasure to be back once again. Yes. Still going. We're back again. Here we are. And me, Sue Robertson. We're, our topic tonight is about COVID fines and uh, the community impact of those fines. And we have two special guests, uh, Tiffany Overall from Youth Law. She's their advocacy and human rights officer. And Lloyd Murphy, who's a lawyer from Inner Melbourne Community Legal. So welcome, Tiffany and Lloyd. Yeah, thanks, Sue. Thanks, Dan. Hi, thanks for having me. So as we all know, the coronavirus pandemic's resulted. There's been a lot in the newspaper in the last couple of days in, in Melbourne, um, but it's, been, it's resulted in the government introducing even more fines into their social management system. And um, so tonight's program, as I said before, is all about COVID fines um, and what happens when you challenge them and how these fines impact on the broader community, especially those people in the community are, who are suffering some disadvantage of some description. So it would be great if both of you could tell us about how COVID vines have impacted the communities that each of you serve. And could you give our listeners some examples of the types of cases that have come about because of the policy? Yeah, sure. Um, so, I, yeah, as Sue said, I work for Youth Law and... Um, Obviously, we're assisting young people under 25 and they're coming from a range of different backgrounds um, and a lot of them very sort of vulnerable. And although we don't have enormous numbers of young people approaching us with COVID fines, um, at the moment, I think we have 30 or so um, on our books and um, those young people coming from sort of a range of backgrounds, many are homeless and couch surfing. Um, some are experiencing family violence in the home. Some are presenting with uh, yeah, mental health issues and uh, other disabilities. Um, so, yeah, I'd say just generally we, we could take quite confidently in terms of the cohort we're seeing, you know, some of the more young people in and around CBD and beyond. And have you got any examples of cases you've been dealing yeah. with? Yeah, I mean, what's also been pretty... Uh, worrying, I suppose, for us is that a lot of the young people approaching us, um, it's 
it's sort of the first fine they've ever incurred. Um, and so there's kids receiving first fine, they're, you know, maybe from a refugee background, maybe, um, you know, families with um, already experiencing financial hardship. And this is sort of imposed upon that and just sort of really exacerbates what's already very difficult circumstances during COVID, obviously. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we've had a, a really broad range of um, COVID fines for things where there's not necessarily been a technical breach. Um, there's been situations where, you know, some young people might have arranged to meet a friend for a walk and then they've inadvertently stumbled across uh, someone they knew or it could have been a stranger just pulling them up in the street having a chat and at that time been approached by police, um, explain, asked to explain what's going on why at that time it was inappropriate to have you know, three people. Um, and what we're hearing more often than not is that whatever quite legitimate excuse the young people are giving, for, for whatever reason, police aren't necessarily taking that on board, um, which is pretty disappointing. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're hearing a, a range of a range of types of breaches like that, quite inadvertent often. often. Okay, Lloyd, how, how about you? How, how have these, how has this sort of COVID fine system impacted on the clients that you have? And have you got any sort of examples you can cover with us? Yeah, in terms of, I guess, my work at Inner Melbourne Community Legal, we have, I guess, the highest issuing of infringements per local government area. So um, I believe the next highest one is, uh, is um, half what we have. So um, we've got quite a, quite a lot um, of these fines issued within our catchment and we have some theories as to <laughs> what's going on there, um, but, you know, not too much. And thanks to Tiff, she um, gave us a, a tip off to get some more breakdown of data from um, the crime statistic agency to break down, you know, our local government area and try and see what was going on. But in terms of, of the breakdown of data that we've received, it's matching kind of that statewide breakdown where we see a huge um, over-representation of Indigenous and Torres Strait Islander individuals, as well as um, people from Sudan, South Sudan, uh, refugee backgrounds. Um, and actually from the 660, only 193 were issued to people from an Australian born background. So there's a large number of people um, that either fall into the unspecified, which we're not too sure what exactly that means, but, um, or into some other um, country of birth. So those statistics, just because um, you talked about unspecified there, are they sort of collected by the police or whoever is issuing the fine and they make the nomination about where these people fit. Is that right? Well, during this, we've found that every infringement issued by Victoria Police has a box to capture or record um, an individual's ethnic appearance. Um, oh. So, um, yes, that's going to be interesting. Um, I haven't got that they, done yet. <laughs> no, we haven't. <laughs> Um, I think they've realised that they shouldn't have been releasing um, this extra information to our centres and are actually now copying, like cutting out these sections of the infringements, but um, cat's out of the bag, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and in terms of, in terms of really, you know, figuring out what the unspecified is, it could just, it's just, it's probably just been left blank. Right. Um, yeah. But that depends on the police officer and whether or not they fill in the box. We're not too sure, but 
we know that um, you know, less than a third were actually recorded as Australian-born individuals. So it sounds like there's a lot of perception and discretion built into this thing. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's dependent on, on the police officer issuing the fine to record that information. Um, and then from there also in terms of our um, community, there's a huge, you know, large number of um, homeless services within the um, local government area where we suspect numerous clients experiencing homelessness actually are using these as postal addresses and that's why they're being recorded within city of melbourne um, we know that a lot of clients at these um crisis services that we work at um you know normally we would be on site <laughs> prior to COVID, but um yeah we know that a lot of these services are getting um reports from clients being fined right if I may, I'm, I'm curious, hearing that there's a lot of people who are experiencing homelessness or at risk of homelessness receiving infringements that are a significant amount. Um, I mean, if it's for a mask, it's a $200 infringement, but for a pub, uh, otherwise another type of public health direction breach can get $1,600 plus, potentially five grand. So what might be the point of finding someone who is homeless? Um, or serving them that ticket when it's going to be quite apparent to the to the police officer that they don't have the means. Yeah, does does seem a little bit pointless. Um, I suppose that's a an age old um, advocacy point. I suppose <laughs> the sector's been trying to make for a long time um, in that sort of space that you know you really could be using discretion not to issue fines in the first instance, um, probably to a range of people throughout the state, but I suppose particularly homeless people. Um, and ultimately, obviously, you know, once they do incur that fine, um, there are grounds for them to seek for that fine to be waived through special circumstances, etc. But I mean, you know, to go through that process and, and have, well, in this instance, we just don't have any definitive um, suggestion that they're going to be successful. Um, you know, it just seems, seems a bit ludicrous that we shouldn't just be finding another way of, of providing you know, support and education and information to and try and keep them safe rather than finding them. You just, when you just uh, were talking then, Tiffany, about you were suggesting that they may not be successful. Like if they ask for this, their fine to be reviewed, which is the next step, mm. they, won't, they won't be successful. That seems um, hard to believe, really. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, Lloyd got to talk to this in a bit more detail, but I suppose just from a bit of a snapshot, I suppose we've been able to take across a number of community legal centres at the moment, um, across, you know, all people in, that we're supporting incurring fines, not just people experiencing homelessness, but uh, for, the, for the smattering that have gone through that review and have received an outcome, um, they've all been unsuccessful to date. We haven't collectively heard and correct me if I'm wrong, the word of, of one that has been successful um, at that sort of internal review stage, which, which is troubling because, I mean, the bottom line is, as community lawyers, we're not going to be giving advice to, to our clients to go through that process if we don't think there's any, you know, merit <laughs> to their, to their um, review. Um, so, yeah, that's a very worrying trend. We're just trying to monitor more and more. We've, as I say, it's only sort of a small snapshot at the moment, but we haven't seen any successful ones come through yet. 
what are the grounds for an internal review that are often being submitted? Yes, so, well, in terms of our service, we've covered off our main grounds is the concept of contrary to law, which means um, that there actually was no breach of the um, directives. Um, other ones being exceptional circumstances around, look, this, this happened, this is what's going on for them. Um, a $1,600 fine is probably not appropriate. Um, and then also special circumstances, which are in, in cover off um, uh, specific um, circumstances such as people experiencing homelessness, mental um, health issues, drug or alcohol dependency, intellectual disability, uh, and family violence. So they're kind of the three main concepts and categories that we're, uh, have been applying for review under. Um, the majority, of course, being contrary to law, <laughs> um, just because, you know, I'm reflecting on, on TIFF's comments earlier about, um, you know, police just not believing people um, when they're stopped on the street by a police officer and they're explaining what's going on and what's happening, they're just getting nowhere with the police officer and then, you know, fines are being issued. Um, it's, it's really difficult, this internal review question, because um, in terms of the police, we don't get a lot of information out of them. We don't know what is actually occurring in terms of an internal review process from their end. And actually it's been that way prior to COVID fines. That's been the um, procedure for quite a while um, that they don't release um, detailed grounds for withdrawals or refusals. Um, we're kind of left in the dark. We don't understand the process or what decision-making process they're undergoing. So it's really hard to talk to a client and say, yes, you should absolutely do this. Um, because it'll be in your best interest. And I think comparing that to when, you know, COVID was starting and police were issuing these fines quite um, regularly and quite freely. Um, and, you know, we had the now uh, Chief um, Police Commissioner saying that we, we were going to review all the fines. They were all going to um, be subjected to the common sense test, the pub test, and they'll be withdrawn. That's just not what we've seen. We haven't seen a single centre have a fine withdrawn um, at the internal review service um, stage. And there are some, I haven't confirmed with another service, but they are suggesting that they have had some withdrawn at enforcement review stage when this actual decision has been taken away from the police. So it's actually a third party making a decision on these fines at that point in time where people are being successful. So you know, it's, it's a question on, on what kind of process they're undergoing internally. The, the problem might seem if it's gone to an enforcement review, which means, as I understand, that means Fines Victoria manage the enforcement of the fine and take over as a government authority with discretion. If they, rev if they revoke the enforcement of that fine, it still means that the police can charge you with the criminal offence at the magistrate's court. So it still ultimately brings a discretionary power back onto the police. Has that been something that's seen? Has, has there been any matters listed at the magistrate's court that I review have been involved with? Not from youth law's end yet, no. We at IMCL have one. Um, you know, initially the fine was issued to a three-month-old baby and then we had ongoing discussions with um, 
finds Victoria who wanted the three month old baby to call up and give us consent to speak on their behalf to the point where we had to threaten to like go to the ombudsman to, you know, just get anywhere with this infringement. And um, what actually ended up happening was uh, the police um, withdrawing the baby's fine and then issuing charge and summons to our actual client. So um, really terrible circumstances um, that we're seeing these sort of fines in. And these are just the people that we're seeing. We don't know who's out there trying to advocate for themselves in, against you know, Fines Victoria and Victoria Police together. Um, who knows what's going on? Yeah. How, how, yeah. Is a fine, how is a fine being issued to a three-month-old baby? Baby, uh, yeah. Seems absurd. <laughs> well, exactly. It's a, it's a typo that um, for some reason the fine system did not pick up. Tiffany, you were about to say something then. Oh, just right then. I was about to say, yeah, it doesn't really instill confidence in the system, <laughs> does it, when things like that can happen? That's craziness. Um, yeah, no, it's just just picking up on the point Lloyd was making about scratching the surface. I mean, that's that's absolutely the case. I mean, I, I'm talking about 30 cases we're seeing it before and probably quite a few more across other CLCs, but, you know, the data that Lloyd was referring to earlier that was taking us up to the end of June... Um, so we've still got a long way to go. Was there was six thousand fines, over six thousand fines recorded, um, and we know that nearly half of those, forty-two percent roundabouts, were for young people under twenty-five, um, and that that's inclusive of an initial spike in fines. But then it, but then things did wind back a little bit, and we're all feeling and seeing that there's been, you know, going into lockdown stage four. Um, there's been considerable ramp up of the fining. So goodness knows who's out there. And some some CLCs are reporting that they're surprised that they just haven't been able to reach out or engage and, you know, with people that they, they know there are fines in the community. They're just not necessarily um, approaching their local CLCs. So if there's somebody listening to this who has a fine, that they should, a COVID fine or any fine, they should contact their local um, community legal centre to get some at least some information and um, hopefully some help with it. So what happens if, you know, what happens if you, you ask for a review of the fine and it gets knocked back, then can you challenge that knockback decision? Can you take that higher, further? Um, you can. Uh, the issue, I guess, for, for our CLC and a number of other CLCs is that we start to wade into administrative law and, um, you know, I'm a criminal lawyer and I um, <laughs> do, do fines and infringements in summary criminal matters. And I, um, you know, am not too um, well versed in how to appeal these sort of things or what's going on or how to approach it. It is something that we're definitely as a sector approaching um, you know, counsel and um, pro bono firms and solicitors with, out there um, who are trying to help out and, you know, really um, help us figure out what is the best option to do with these um, refusals at the internal review stage. Lloyd, if I, if I may ask, um, people that may have got an infringement from the police in the past and exercised their right to request an internal review might have experienced um, getting a response from the police and it's addressed from the traffic camera office of the police, whether or not it was a traffic offence. 
Um, and it often will just say uh, something very short and sweet that we receive your application for review and we regret to inform you it's been unsuccessful, please pay the fine. Uh, without without any real further explanation or any indication that they've even read what you submitted. So is that is that what's happening in your experience? Absolutely, yep. We're getting the same template responses from Victoria Police that we always have. Um, and just in terms of, of these ones, we're getting similar along the lines of, um, I've reviewed the uh, file, I'm satisfied the offence has occurred. And then uh, quoting um, a kind of blanket rule as well that they're using in relation to the matters not being appropriate due to the safety issue um, for an official warning. So, um, you know, we, we don't get a lot of information and then I've, you know, myself and others in the sector have asked for further reasons and um, we get kind of locked down and bogged down in Fines Victoria in the traffic camera office and who's responsible for what. And I haven't gotten reasons after making a number of requests for that. And I think it's an issue that other services are um, not getting um, responses to those requests for um, reasons. Right. We're definitely seeing the same thing and having to constantly, you know, put in requests for reasons to try and get some idea. Mm. Um, I, I noticed, um, I picked up there, Lloyd, that you mentioned it doesn't seem appropriate for an official warning um, is sometimes the response. And I, I don't know if my understanding of the Public Health and Wellbeing Act in Victoria is exactly perfect, but I do know that in Section 200, which um, creates emergency powers, there's a direction that before exercising any emergency powers, an authorised officer must um, warn a person that a refusal or failure to comply without a reasonable excuse is an offence. So it would seem that it's actually incumbent on the police to warn people before they're finding them that they're potentially breaching. Is that Has there been any situation where police have been asked to give over body camera footage or something like that for reviews? <laughs> Good idea, Dan. <laughs> Look, I've asked. <laughs> I can't say I've gotten it. Um, it's, um, yeah, Tiff? No, I was just going to say, we're probably even, we've yeah, heard so many things, but I suppose some scenarios where um, the police have actually sounded like they're giving a warning and it sounded like there wasn't going to be a fine in the mail and there was. So we've actually had some scenarios like that, but more often than not, there hasn't, a warning hasn't been um, offered or, or given in that sort of first instance. Interestingly though, um, with some of the media last week around the data, when I think we were making the point that in terms of official warnings, there's only a very small number of fines that were given those sort of official warnings, um, I think like 1% of, all the fines or something um, but police did come back and say yes but you you don't know about all the unofficial warnings that have been given because you know obviously there's no fine being issued mm. so we, it's not what we're hearing obviously because you know the people coming to us have been issued a fine um, but even those that have been issued you, you just can't understand why it wouldn't have made sense to give them a warning and it not you know, really, if we're, if we're serious about a community health response, then, um, yeah, it just doesn't feel like it's adhering to that sort of process at all. To those ideas. No, that's right. In the beginning, I sort of talked about the idea that fines don't seem to achieve much. Mm. 
except to make the lives of financially challenged people in our community even more challenging. So yeah. Tiffany and Lloyd, what, what do you think would be a better policy approach to the whole pandemic management situation? Have you sort of got any thoughts about that? Well, I just probably reiterate my last point really that, you know, all along we've been hoping and calling for a community health response, which has been educative and informative and supportive and checking in on people um, as compared to be being punitive and enforcing fines. Um, you know, I feel like there still could be a place for fines, maybe for those absolute most flagrant breaches that are putting um, you know, members of the community unnecessarily at risk. I'm, I don't think we'd be advocating that that's maybe not appropriate, but in most instances, if, if it had been handled very differently, if the police had had it come, come up to the young people we assisting, had a bit of a chat, given them a warning, explained uh, thoroughly, make sure they understood the directions, um, it, I'm confident it would have just as much impact, but in a much more supportive way. Respectful. Yeah, yeah. You know, obviously, also then, if any sort of fines um, system was retained within this, um, in our sort of little ideal bubble, um, it, you know, the actual fine amounts um are just insane you know like we're talking we're often for children with with no income or or young people generally with very little to no income with families potentially from very little income you know it just it's just compounding financial hardship um very unreasonably the fine amounts are just over and above and outside what the children's court would ever ever take into account for children under 18 having fines go before them within the capings fines matter so on all levels it just hasn't it's not nuanced it's thought through it's not it's not got the right lens or perspective sounds like um privileged people in their own bubbles creating a system where they just don't relate to the grassroots the everyday reality of people the fine system prior to covid we uh, were kind of you know there's been um the review of the funds reform uh, introduction that's probably been backtabled at this point. Um, but, you know, in that we were saying this system's not working. Um, you're targeting exceptionally, um, you know, marginalised and people experiencing high levels of vulnerability with these fines and amounts that just are not even conceptually relevant to someone. Like, you know, a kid um, who's 15 is not, got, is not going to be able to easily get $1,600 together to pay this fine, whether or not they um, have you know, afraid, gone out and actually done it quite deliberately. Um, and so I think also in terms of the fines and a fine management system, Victoria was the most fine state come June. It didn't prevent this second wave. The fining of people didn't prevent anything um, in terms of outbreaks. I, I know it's difficult to prove a negative, but I would be suspicious of whether or not a fine has actually prevented any um, spread of uh, the disease any further. Um, and I think that everything has kind of been on the table for review during this process, except for fines and police powers. Like we're mm. constantly getting messaging from the government that you know we're reviewing everything, we're making decisions um, on the best information that we have. And the government has now had um, you know, three sets of warnings that these fines are actually disproportionately targeting people who are highly marginalised 
and experiencing vulnerabilities that you know um, relate back to you know ethnic backgrounds and financial status and they just continue to proceed with policing which is just a bit of a concern what what would you be um tiffany and lloyd your thoughts on the purpose of of the fine in the first place is i would have thought to compel compliance or re- or help rehabilitate someone that has failed to comply but it doesn't i get the sense from the experiences of the clients that you've met with it's that's not really what's going on here it's not about a failure to comply and it's not about someone who's flagrantly breaching something that needs to learn a lesson we're talking about people at risk of significant harm being put in really difficult positions for, for a lot of the people we're seeing, that's that's true. It's not playing out as you would have yeah, hoped or how you just described it all. Yeah. Yeah, and I know that, you know, prior to this, we had fines clients who, um, you know, are sitting on payment plans till 2032. And, like, this kind of stuff, like, the, the, fines are bro- the fines were already not working and they were already broken. Yeah, not um, really and you know for the clients that we see that amount is not realistic to induce a behavior change because you know once you've got one that's sixteen hundred dollars what's the difference between sixteen hundred dollars and you know fifteen thousand disturbingly disturbingly you know it will have other longer term implications too obviously yes they might not be able to pay but that fine is with them it's in the system we we know how clunky and cumbersome and broken the system is and that those fines will hang around. And when we're talking about COVID recovery, what, what does the recovery look like for all those people, which in such various circumstances often anyway, let alone having a fine, multiple COVID fines hanging around with them? If, if I might indulge a hypothetical, I know we're probably over time now. Um, flash forward to 2021, maybe even early 2022, and we're at the Melbourne Magistrates Court uh, where a significant amount of people have gone through the review process, um, given it their best shot at um, an internal review, had that knocked back, still don't think it's fair that they should have to pay and decide to contest it at court. How do you think with potentially a significant amount of these cases taking up the very busy already magistrate's court list that magistrates are going to deal with this, you know, the, the flow on effect? Grind to a halt. I don't know. Um, but hopefully we've had our successful test case by then that just wipes them all somehow and, you know, <laughs> I, yeah, it, it's, it's scary to think about. It's good to end on utopia. <laughs> <laughs> is, is there a test case in the works? Well, we'd like to think so, but I think it's a little way off. Mm. Yeah, I mean, our one is listed for first mention in December. So um, by the time everything else is caught up, I, I doubt we would be getting to a contest hearing, um, you know, until I, I would be hopeful for the end of 2021, but I'm probably more realistic around early 2022. And, you know, this is a system that's been hugely impacted by COVID and there's an enormous backlog in the court system and we're just going to see these come in more. Um, we see what happens when, you know, 
there's an increase in police officers on the ground and then there's no um, adjustment in terms of prosecutors and um, court resources, it's going to be an interesting time. Yeah. My idea of utopia is instead of police officers doing this, you have like a COVID community support team that go out and they've got masks and they've got all the things that people may not have um, yeah. for all sorts of legitimate reasons and they just stop in the street and say, hey, I know you haven't got a mask on or, you know, yeah. can we help you? Instead of assuming they're doing something wrong intentionally, instead assuming they are a respectful member of our community who is for some reason unable yeah. to comply at the time. Wouldn't that be nice? Uh, masks, not fines, yep. Okay, listeners, well, thanks for tuning in and uh, thanks to Tiffany and Lloyd for giving us their time to chat about this really important and really challenging and sort of mind-bending issue. Um, thanks, Dan. Yeah, no problem. That's been uh, done by law, 36th of October 2020, and it'll be back again next Tuesday night at 6pm on 3CR. Fitzroy Legal Service has launched a free information and advice phone service for people who have been stopped, questioned, fined or charged for breaching the new COVID-19 restrictions. Have you been fined or charged under the new laws or stopped and questioned by police for being outside? Call 0434 136 501. Weekdays between 9am and 5pm. That's 0434 136 501. Or head to fitzroy-legal.org.au for more information. You can also report incidents at covidpolicing.org.au. Fitzroy Legal Service is a 3CR supporter. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.